let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, reading through to chapter 11, verse 1. Another breathtaking vision. Daniel 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of, of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh, man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, 
Do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So far, the reading of God's holy word. We hear about it on a regular basis, the conflicts in Ukraine and elsewhere. Bloody battles, heavy artillery fire, missile strikes, collapsed buildings, homes destroyed, missiles ripping through apartments, civilians dying in their beds in nighttime attacks, casualties on both sides, deaths, funerals, and more funerals. But congregation, there is another conflict that has raged for thousands of years that is not mentioned on the news. It is a conflict that you have never seen on your television or computer screen. It is one that most people hardly ever think about. In fact, many people don't even acknowledge it. The conflict of which I speak is the fierce battle waged in the unseen realm. In our chapter for today, we get a glimpse of this battle. The curtain is momentarily drawn back, and the Lord allows us a glance into a, a portion of that great conflict of the ages. I invite you to follow along with me as we consider Daniel 10. We want to ponder first a troubling situation. Second, a radiant messenger. Third, a traumatic encounter. And fourth, a raging conflict. We begin with a troubling situation. Verse 1 tells us that the events of this chapter took place when? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. It is significant that Daniel recorded the date. For it gives us additional insight into the historical context of the vision. Turn with me, please, for a moment in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 1. Please turn to Ezra 1. We learn from the book of Ezra that Cyrus had issued a decree allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple in the first year of his reign. In the first year of his reign. Now look with me to the first four verses of Ezra 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, verse 2, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah. 
Verse 3, who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 4, and whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. In the first year of Cyrus, the decree was issued and Zerubbabel, together with a group of Jews, set off for Palestine. Zerubbabel the governor and Joshua the high priest. Why did Daniel not go along with them? For all those many years in Babylon, he prayed three times a day with his windows open toward Jerusalem. In chapter 9, we saw Daniel's penitential prayer for the people. He interceded on their behalf, imploring the Lord that they might be cleansed, renewed, and restored. He pleaded with the Lord that the people might return to to the land to rebuild the temple and that the face of God might shine upon the sanctuary once again. In light of Daniel's intense desire, we might have expected him to be at the front of the line of those who returned. Why then did Daniel remain behind? There were probably a number of contributing factors. For one, Daniel was in his 80s when Cyrus issued the decree. He no longer had the strength of youth to travel the long distance and to participate in a heavy work of rebuilding. Furthermore, the Lord had raised up others for the task, Zerubbabel, Joshua, as well as Ezra. What these leaders needed most of all was men like Daniel who would labor behind the scenes on their behalf in the strategic work of prayer for the sake of Jerusalem. Daniel may have been too old to travel and build, but he was not too old to pray. Those of you who are seniors, you may not have the physical strength that you once had to serve the church of Christ. Your health may make it difficult for you to labor in the church as you once did, but your task is not over. The Lord may be raising up other leaders in your place, but what those leaders need most of all is men and women like yourselves who are willing to labor for their sake in the strategic work of prayer. Seniors, your labor in the church is not done until God calls you home. There's no such thing as retirement from his service. While Daniel did not return to Jerusalem, he was nonetheless closely tied to the work before the throne of God. Congregation, in these opening four verses of chapter 10, we see that Daniel was deeply discouraged. Why? His prayers for restoration had been heard. The first group of Jews had already been in Palestine for almost two years. The temple temple area had been cleared and the foundation for the house of the Lord was laid. The daily sacrifices were again being offered. You would think that Daniel would be rejoicing in all these blessings of the Lord. And yet we read in verse 2 that Daniel was mourning for three full weeks. And look with me to verse 3. 
I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. He cut out all pleasant choice food and delicacies. No meat, no wine, no anointing oil, which was used in the east to refresh oneself in the dry, hot climate. He spent three weeks in sorrow and fasting. Why? Why would the elderly Daniel be so down? While the passage does not specifically tell us, we are able to piece some of it together from what we know from Old Testament history. The restoration was not progressing the way Daniel expected it to. While Cyrus had indeed issued the decree allowing the Jews to return, only a small number availed themselves of this God-given opportunity. The vast majority had no desire to go back. They were well established, and they chose to remain where they were rather than facing the hardships of their homeland. Imagine how this must have weighed on Daniel. For 70 years in exile, Jerusalem had, had never been out of his thoughts. He prayed toward Jerusalem. He remembered the times of the offerings in Jerusalem. He longed for the courts of the Lord in Jerusalem. As the psalmist said in Psalm 137, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Daniel discovered that the love which he had for the city and church of God was something which many of his fellow countrymen did not share. As many of the Israelites at the time of Moses preferred the leeks, melons, and onions of Egypt, so many of Daniel's contemporaries preferred their established life in a foreign land. This was undoubtedly a source of great grief to Daniel. But in addition to this, the few who did return faced incredible difficulties as they began the task of rebuilding. There was strong opposition from the surrounding people. We read in the fourth chapter of Ezra how the Samaritans tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in the building. They tried to frustrate their plans. As soon as the foundations of the temple were laid, the work had to cease because of their opposition. It wasn't until 16 or 17 years later that the work on the temple continued through the encouragement of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Daniel most likely knew about the cessation of the work in Jerusalem and, and understood how discouraged the remnant in Jerusalem was. The work of restoration was far more difficult than anyone had anticipated. It appeared as though the return was in vain. It seemed as though God's promises to the prophet Jeremiah would not come to pass. This, brothers and sisters, was why Daniel was so discouraged and cast down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul listed a number of difficulties that he experienced in his Christian life and ministry. 
Besides physical suffering, he also mentioned the emotional stress that he endured because of his deep concern for the spiritual state of the churches. When issues arose in the various churches which threatened to destroy them, the apostle felt the pain very deeply. He wanted the church of Christ to grow and increase. When God's people were disobedient and unfaithful, the apostle was concerned, troubled, hurt. Well, congregation, it was this same concern that we see expressed in the life of Daniel. Like the Apostle Paul, Daniel had the desire to see the name of God honored through his people. When they suffered, Daniel was troubled. When they were disobedient and unfaithful, Daniel was disturbed. And so he devoted himself to a three-week period of fasting and prayer. Even though he was not directly involved in the rebuilding of the temple, and even though he would not live to see its completion, he interceded for the people of God for the sake of his kingdom. Congregation, when you see churches throughout our nation departing from the gospel of Christ, when you see sports stadiums packed and churches almost empty, when you see the parking lots of shopping malls filled on the Lord's Day and the parking lots of, of many churches with only a few cars, when you see a lineup of vehicles at Tim Hortons on the Lord's Day, but a very short line of vehicles entering the driveways of churches, do you feel some of the pain that Paul felt, that Daniel felt? And do you intercede for the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ? When you see professing Christians who have little desire for a second service on the Lord's Day. When you see professing Christians who have little desire to give themselves to labor for the health of the local church. When you see pastors who have little regard for the written word of God. When you see members of the church longing for the leeks, melons, and onions of Egypt. Or members who seem to feel at home in sinful Babylon. When you see churches throughout Europe being renovated into mosques, do you feel some of the pain that Paul felt, that Daniel felt, and that Jesus felt as he wept over Jerusalem? Do you intercede for the people of God? The church of Jesus Christ. May God give us tender hearts as he gave Daniel. We move on then from a troubling situation, point number one, to a radiant messenger, point number two, a radiant messenger. The Lord saw Daniel's sorrow and sent him a reminder of who is the Lord of history. Daniel was by the side of the great river Tigris. Verse 4 tells us the precise date. Have a look there. What's the date? It was on the 24th day of the first month. The 24th of Nisan was three days after the feast of Passover and unleavened bread. 
During what was normally a feast of liberation, Daniel was fasting and mourning. Passover was usually a time to celebrate God's deliverance, but Daniel was in no mood to celebrate. It was on this 24th day of the first month that a glorious messenger appeared to him. As Daniel was by the river, suddenly he saw a vision. Verse 5 says, Daniel looked up. And there before him he saw a man. Daniel was left alone in the company of this heavenly being who appeared as a man. Verses 5 and 6 provide us with a description. Have a look there. Verses 5 and 6. Daniel said that he was clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz, the finest gold. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Everything about this messenger expressed might, beauty, glory, majesty. The picture is one of dazzling brilliance. His appearance is that which cannot be adequately described with human language. When he spoke, his voice sounded like a multitude. Who is this glorious man? Nowhere in this passage is he explicitly identified. His appearance is strikingly similar to what was revealed to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1. Exiled on the island of Patmos for the word of God, the apostle John was caught up in the spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit took hold of him in an unusual way. John saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. He saw Jesus Christ himself walking among the lampstands. His appearance was most awesome. John saw that he was clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Because of the similarities between John's vision and Daniel's vision, some commentators conclude that Daniel saw Christ in a pre-incarnate manifestation, that this was a Christophany. Since the man was dressed in linen, which is the cloth used for the high priest's garment, some scholars maintain that this was the Messiah, the pre-incarnate Son of God. While the similarities are certainly there, I think there is reason within the text to say with Calvin that this is a, an angelic heavenly messenger in the form of a man. If we maintain that Daniel saw Christ in a pre-incarnate manifestation, we run into difficulties in the 13th verse. There we are told that he was resisted by the prince of the kingdom of Persia and that Michael the archangel came to his aid. 
Now, I am certainly sympathetic with those who interpret this as a Christophany. But it's much easier to understand the 13th verse when we identify this radiant man as an angel. Perhaps even the angel Gabriel who is mentioned in chapter 9, verse 21. Whatever the case, the vision was intended to impress upon Daniel the unlimited power, omnipotence of God. It revealed the sufficiency of the Lord to meet all the needs of his people. Let's consider then thirdly Daniel's traumatic encounter. Traumatic encounter. In verse 7, Daniel first of all recorded the response of those who were with him by the river. Although they did not see the vision, they sensed and felt a superior power in such a dramatic way that they fled in terror. Overwhelmed with fear, they ran and hid themselves. They felt the presence of this heavenly visitor, even though they saw nothing. Now think about this for a moment. Sometimes you will hear people speak in a defiant tone. When I meet the Lord, I'm going to have a thing or two to say to him. You ever heard that? When I meet him, I have a few questions for him to answer. When he returns, I'm going to tell him a thing or two. Brothers and sisters, those who make such statements reveal their complete ignorance of Scripture. The people who were with Daniel did not so much as see the heavenly messenger, yet great terror fell upon them. They trembled like a puppy in a thunderstorm. I once had a dog who would crawl into a dark, tight corner during a thunderstorm, utterly petrified. Well, that's the impression that we're left with of Daniel's colleagues as they fled to hide themselves from something that they could not even see or explain. Then, congregation, look at the response of Daniel himself. The others having fled, he was left alone. Go to verses 8 and 9. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Verse 9, yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Standing alone before this radiant messenger who reflected the majesty of the second person of the Trinity was more than Daniel could bear. The strength departed from his body, color drained from his face. The old faithful prophet fell prostrate with his face to the ground and passed out. He lost consciousness at the feet of burnished bronze as if he were in a deep sleep. We are reminded, brothers and sisters, of the frailty of man in the presence of a holy, sinless being. In Matthew 28, we find a similar scene at the resurrection of Jesus. 
On the first day of the week, when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone from the door of the tomb. Matthew said, his countenance was as lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The glistening appearance of the angel reflected the purity and holiness of the Lord from whose presence he had come. When the guards, who had been appointed to protect the tomb, saw the angel, they shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They were so overwhelmed with terror that they fell into an unconscious state, paralyzed with fear. They were so traumatized by what they saw that they became motionless as though they were dead. They were hardy, tough, well-trained Roman soldiers. And they were taught how to respond to difficult situations. But all their courage melted away in a moment's time at the appearance of the angel of God. Through sheer terror, they fell into a temporary coma and became like dead men. Now, perhaps you can understand the guards at Jesus' tomb responding in this way because, after all, they were unbelieving, unregenerate, unsaved men. No wonder they were terrified at the presence of a sinless being. But congregation, even Daniel, the old faithful prophet, was overwhelmed by what he saw. The energy was sapped from his body. His muscles went limp. And his entire system failed so that he collapsed with his face to the ground. He felt as though he was about to perish under the impact of this revelation. Dear friends, very few people really understand the damage that sin has done to us. Very few comprehend just how utterly devastating its effects really are. Even the holiest of people, such as Daniel, cannot stand before a sinless being without feeling as though he's about to disintegrate. To communicate with him, the messenger had to first of all restore him to consciousness. The beginning of this process is described in verse 10. The messenger stretched out his hand of burnished bronze and touched Daniel. This revived him sufficiently to enable him to get up onto his hands and knees. But even then, he continued to tremble uncontrollably. More words of comfort were necessary before he could stand upright. Verse 11, the heavenly messenger addressed him by name and encouraged him with these words, O oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, or you who are highly esteemed. More encouraging words could hardly be imagined at a time like this. What more could a sinner desire than to hear the reassuring words that he is greatly beloved? loved. The one whose face had the appearance of lightning and whose eyes were like torches of fire had not come to consume him, but to gently and patiently reassure him of the love of God and to communicate to him a message from the courts of heaven. 
Through his words, the angel enabled Daniel to rise up and stand on his feet. But even then, he continued to tremble. Verse 11 says, while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. In his terror, he heard the heavenly visitor address him again by name. He said to him, go to verse 12. Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of or in response to your words. The visitor was not an adversary, but a friend. A friend. Three weeks earlier, Daniel began to pray. From the moment he began, his words were heard in the throne room of heaven. The Lord saw his fasting and mourning, the sorrow and grief of his heart. We are reminded again, congregation, that the Lord is not deaf to the prayers of his people. From the first day that Daniel humbled himself before God, his prayers were known and heard. There was not a moment when God ignored his cries. For three weeks, Daniel was in mourning. But from the very first moment that he began to pray, the Lord was listening. Never despair, brothers and sisters, for the Lord is always near, always listening, always ready to hear your cries. Those who are loved by him through Jesus Christ will never be turned away. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep interceding. Keep coming to the throne of grace. Well, we come then to our final point. Having considered a troubling situation, a radiant messenger, at a traumatic encounter, we turn finally to a raging conflict. Point number four, a raging conflict. In verses 13 to 21, a door is opened to reveal to us the spiritual warfare that is being waged behind the scenes. We are given a glimpse into the battles, the battles in the spiritual realm. The angel told Daniel that the Lord heard his prayer on the first day, but delivery of his answer was delayed for 21 days. Why? Why did it take three weeks for the angel to arrive? The answer is given in verse 13. The end of verse 12 says, Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Then look at verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. The prince of Persia is not a man. The prince of Persia is not a man. No mere man can withstand an angelic being. The conflict here is not one with flesh and blood, but as the Apostle Paul said, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. The prince of Persia is an evil spiritual being. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20, the apostle said that when people worship idols, it is not really the idols that they worship at all. Behind the worship of idols are what? Demons. Demons. And these demons are the actual gods of idol worshipers. Therefore, behind the national gods of Persia were evil spiritual beings. These evil spiritual beings, demonic spirits, did all that they could to oppose the work of the Lord. They tried to influence the events in Persia and hinder God's plans for the future of Israel, the church of the Old Testament. The heavenly messenger who came to Daniel had been detained for 21 days. There was a great struggle between him and the prince of Persia. It must have been a remarkable struggle because it required the special intervention of the archangel Michael to resolve it. Archangel means chief angel. When Michael assisted, the prince of Persia was pushed back, allowing the messenger to deliver God's message to Daniel. Michael is described elsewhere in Scripture as the commander of the angels. What we learn from this congregation is that the events of this world are not only shaped by the decisions of kings, presidents, or prime ministers, but the events of this world are influenced by an unseen spiritual conflict. The events of human history are directly tied to a spiritual battle. A Reformed theologian of the 18, early 1900s wrote this. If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here. But up there, that is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. Not here, but up there, that is where the real conflict is waged. Through this revelation, Daniel was taught that the real struggle was not with Persia or the Samaritans, but the ultimate power struggle was in the unseen realm between light and darkness, the kingdom of God and his angelic host, and the kingdom of darkness. Brothers and sisters, that spiritual conflict is a reality also today. You can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't watch it, but you're caught up in the midst of it. That spiritual conflict is happening in our own parliament buildings, in our schools, and yes, in our homes and churches. Isn't that why the Apostle Paul encouraged Christians to equip themselves with God's armor? You sang about it a moment ago. Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil? Christian armor is absolutely essential to survive the conflict. You need to gird your waist with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You need to take the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. You need the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need to pray and make supplication in the Spirit, Ephesians 6. Yes, the spiritual battle continues to rage. This 10th chapter of Daniel gives us a glimpse into that unseen world. But one of the comforting things that we find in this spiritual conflict is that God's people are never left alone. Daniel cried out toward heaven, and the Lord sent his angel. And we said, as we said last week, angels are sent as ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation. God's people are never left alone. But notice once again, congregation, Daniel's response to all of this, it's more than a mere mortal is able to bear. The angel said in verse 14 that he had come to make Daniel understand what would happen to his people in the latter days of the days to come. Chapters 11 and 12 continue to unfold this revelation. We will consider those chapters, Lord willing, in coming weeks. But look at Daniel's response to this messenger. Verse 15 says, when Daniel had spoken... Sorry, verse 15 says, when the angel had spoken, Daniel again turned his face toward the ground and was speechless. He had to be touched on his lips by a spiritual being before he could speak. He was overcome with anguish and his strength was lost. Having the curtain drawn back to see the spiritual world had the effect of leaving him at death's door. He had to be supernaturally strengthened by God's messenger in order to hear further revelation. The angel said to him, verse 19, have a look, verse 19. The angel said to him, O man greatly beloved, highly esteemed, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong, yes, be strong. Through the touch of In the words of the angel, Daniel is able to receive the final two chapters of this book. What an experience this must have been for the old prophet. He learned about spiritual warfare. He learned that God hears and answers prayer. And he learned that the future of God's people was in God's hands. The church is in God's hands. Brothers and sisters, As we depart from this place today, let us remember that the conflict of the ages is won in Jesus Christ. Satan and his fallen angels continue to oppose the work of God. He's a powerful foe, but we need not tremble before him. As Martin Luther said, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him.
The evil forces of the unseen world cannot prevail against the kingdom of Christ. The victory is won in Him. It is achieved at the cross. Do you recall what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12? How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Who's the strong man? The strong man is Satan. His house is the kingdom over which he rules. His possessions are those whom Satan holds in his power through his demons. Only one who is stronger than Satan can enter his house, bind him, plunder his goods, and free the helpless victims who are held in his power. During his earthly ministry, when Jesus cast out demons, he proved that he was able to enter Satan's house, overpower him, and plunder his, his goods. He proved that he was greater than the strong man. At the cross, his victory over the strong man was secured. It was there. It was there, as Paul said in Colossians 2.15, that he disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. At the cross, the death blow to Satan and his demons was inflicted. The glory of that victory will be manifested at Jesus' return, where the strong man will be eternally bound. Now, brothers and sisters, continue in the spiritual battle looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Remember that your conflict is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Like Daniel, we are weak and helpless in ourselves. Chapter 10 highlights Daniel's personal weakness. That's what we're like, powerless. We cannot stand against the unseen powers of wickedness for a moment. But Jesus waged war against these principalities and powers and has set you free from their bondage. In Daniel 10, the nation ruling Israel had a spiritual force behind it that was very powerful. The prince of the Persian kingdom was exceptionally strong. But God showed Daniel that even though Israel appeared to be puny and feeble, they had who? Michael, the archangel, captain of the host behind them. The unseen realm was very different from the earthly, tangible, observable realm. In congregation, as Christians, we often feel weak and insignificant, don't we? Don't we? The powers of the world and the devil are so exceptionally strong. But thank God, we are assured of ultimate victory, not merely through Michael, but through the mighty, supreme conqueror, Jesus Christ. Then look to him, congregation. Look to him. For victory is found 
in him alone. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you again this morning for this little glimpse into the unseen realm and the spiritual battle that is raging for the souls of men, women, and children. The spiritual battle that is, continues to rage against your church. Help us to remember these things, Lord, when we see so many disturbing things in our world. So many powers of this world who are doing uh, such wicked things. To remember that also in our own nation, when we see decisions made in Ottawa that are so ungodly, to remember that behind these powers, these earthly powers are unseen, spiritual powers raging for the promotion of wickedness and for the hindrance of righteousness and truth and a desperate desire to suppress the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that as your people we are not alone, that we have not only Michael, but we have the victory of Jesus Christ who disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. We thank you, Lord, for all that was achieved at Calvary. We thank you that through Christ, the strong man is bound. That we who are indwelt by the Spirit are empowered to resist those principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, Lord, may we here recognize the importance of following our captain. If we are not serving, worshiping, giving our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are yet in the realm of darkness under the control of the powers of darkness. If there should be anyone here that is gravitating toward the kingdom of darkness, we pray that in your mercy you would liberate such a person. Show them the freedom in Christ. Lord, as Daniel expressed such deep concern for the people of God, for the church of the Old Testament, may we, like Daniel, love your church today and seek her well-being. Give ourselves for her health that you be glorified in the midst of your people. Receive our praises as we conclude this service. In the name of Christ Jesus, who won the victory. Amen.